0: Guys, good to see y'all. I want to recommend a resource to you by way of a website in light of where we're at reading through the New Testament together and uh, just having got to the book of Romans. I I want you guys to be aware of this resource, it's called the Bible Project. Uh, we are connected with them. They're doing a wonderful work of creating little videos that explain every book of the Bible and the big themes of the Bible. And they're really, really good. Remember those videos that I showed in the, uh, uh, the thing about global missions a few weeks ago? Remember how helpful those were? Well, that's not these people. This is something else. But it's like that. Uh, it's the same sort of style, just as helpful uh, really, really good. I went, because we started Romans, right, this week in our, in our one year through the New Testament. I went to the website, watched the videos on Romans. It really helped me to better understand the book and to have greater context of what I was reading, so I got more out of it. So I want to recommend that to you guys. Write it down, go to the website, and just start to peruse the videos, and you'll learn a lot. Uh, make sure you go to the one on the book of Romans, since we're in the book of Romans right now. And then this morning we are in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Let's remember that the Ventura campus will be joining us for the sermon. We love them very much. Give them some love. And we are in the Lord's Prayer this morning, Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Now, we could take weeks to study the Lord's Prayer, as many have, and perhaps we should do, but we're not going to. We're going to cover it here in one week. We do have a couple books available for you at the book table if you want to go deeper into uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been moving it a pretty aggressive clip through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you feel like you want to get a little bit more, there's a book there by D.A. Carson on the Sermon on the Mount, which is excellent. Another one by Scott McKnight on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you feel like, gosh, Britt, you're not giving us enough in these sermons. We want more. we got books over there. Go read them and have fun with those. So we're looking at the Lord's Prayer this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We will read the prayer, and then we'll pray, and then we'll talk. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for what you teach us here. Father, thank you that you are attentive to our prayers and active in our lives and in our world. Be active this morning in our hearing of your truth. Be active, please, God, in my preaching and teaching of your truth. Cause your glorious word to take root in our hearts. Lord, that you would do a deep work in us concerning prayer and what it means to relate to you in prayer and through prayer. We are, after all, the people of God. So help us to have the grammar of God, clear communication with God. We ask that you bless this time for our good and for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, anytime that uh, we talk about prayer, I always remember or realize or am reminded of the fact that prayer is hard. Prayer should be the simplest, maybe easiest thing in the world. But when I, when I think about prayer, when I practice prayer, when I don't practice prayer, I'm aware of the fact that prayer is hard. I, I think if, if prayer in some way wasn't hard, I would pray more. Can I get a witness? I mean, I, I look at my own prayer life and realize, gosh, I, I wish I prayed more. I think if prayer were easy for most of us, we would probably pray more. I wonder why it's hard. Why is prayer hard? There's probably a lot of ways why we can answer it, or maybe why don't we pray more. I I think it's the same answer. But I think often we don't pray because we just don't know what to pray. You know, we just don't have the grammar, the vocabulary, or haven't really... We just don't know what to pray. Sometimes life is so overwhelming, we're not sure what to say. Uh, other times, we just don't really know exactly how to approach God. And then I, I, I think in my own life, I'm being a little vulnerable and dangerous here, but I, I mean, maybe if we're honest, we would say sometimes, you know, does prayer work? Does prayer really change things? I believe it does because of Scripture. I believe it does. But the biggest prayers I've ever prayed were answered in the way I wanted them to be answered. So I wonder a lot about prayer. I struggle with prayer. And Jesus here in the text is looking to help us with prayer giving us grammar for it, helping us know what to pray, how to approach God, maybe helping us understand why sometimes it seems as though the answer is no, Or things don't go the way that we expect them to go in prayer. Jesus is helping us with these things. Now, it's important to understand that as Jesus gives us this help in prayer, as he's teaching us to pray, He's doing so in the midst of, as one movement of, a broader sermon that he's giving, right? Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So it comes in the middle of a sermon. It's important if we're going to get what Jesus is saying about prayer here, that we remember the main point of the sermon. That, That always helps us. And the main point of the sermon or his theme statement was the first thing that he said when he started the Sermon on the Mount, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is the main idea of Jesus' sermon. This is the main point that God's blessing has come to the undeserving. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Primarily, that God's blessing has come to the undeserving. Jesus is here bringing to us the idea that salvation is by grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The idea of poor, poor in spirit are those who before God have no moral merit, no moral standing. We're broken, we're, we're, we're immoral, we're, we're, we're rebellious, we're, we're spiritually bankrupt before God those who would normally be unexpecting of God's blessing and are certainly undeserved of God's blessing, Jesus comes announcing the good news of the kingdom that God's blessing has come to the unexpected and the undeserving. That's the main point of the sermon. That's his theme statement. It's the idea of salvation by grace and not through works. That it's undeserved and given as a gift, not earned and deserved. Make sense? Jesus' main point. Now, one of his subsequent points was then that the undeserving who have been brought into the kingdom by grace, pardon me, have now become the representatives of God on earth. This is astounding good news. We weren't deserving of God's grace or to be brought into his kingdom. But Jesus, through the work on the cross, has brought the undeserving, the grace, and the forgiveness of God. And now that we have become God's people, we, the undeserving, and certainly look around the room, the unexpected, have become God's representatives on earth. A return to original intent and what was meant in the garden. This is what Jesus is saying when he says in verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. We become the undeserved, the unexpected, the representatives of God on earth. This is our calling. This is the vocation and the station and the the meaning of our lives. That's Jesus' subsequent point. His main point was salvation by grace. God's kindness has come to the undeserving. Subsequent point, we, the undeserving, have become the representatives of God on earth. And then Jesus, in this sermon, makes a point of application about this. And the point of application is this. Well, since you are undeserving sinners, morally bankrupt before God, and God in his love brought you Jesus to pay the price for your sins and has saved you by grace and now given you new life and spirit-empowered life and has given meaning to your life as salt and, and light in the world, live a righteous life. That's his point of application. Live then in the kingdom according to God's kingdom standards. That was that whole thing that we saw in Matthew chapter 5 where we saw things like, look, you've heard it said that if you, uh, you know, you're you guilty, if you commit adultery, but I say if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're already guilty. Where Jesus was upping the ante on the law and telling us in essence... Don't make the mistake, having been saved by grace, to think that now you can just live in a lawless manner. Antinomianism, that's called. Don't make the mistake to think that just because we are saved by grace, now we can live however we want. Well, I'm forgiven, so why does it matter? Paul says in the book of Romans, in which we're reading, because grace abounds, should then sin abound? No, may it never be. That's a misunderstanding of God's intent and God's grace and what it means to live in the kingdom. What does it mean to live in the kingdom? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, a few things happen. One is, that's a continuation of what God has always said to his people. Back in Leviticus, he said to them, therefore, you shall be holy as I am holy. And he's called them throughout the Old Testament to walk in the ways of the Lord. God's laws, God's standard, God's character. And he created us in the garden as an image of him. So this is nothing new, but it bears that ancient weight. Therefore be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. What immediately Jesus's point of application in the sermon does there is drive us back to his main point. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, the moment we realize the kingdom standard, we say to ourselves, aren't we glad we're saved by grace and not of works or our performance? But then we progress through his sermon and say, yes, even though we're saved by grace, we are his representatives and his special possession and a people after his own name. So we're called to live holy and righteous lives. What does holiness and righteousness look like? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, there's the goal. I'm to be like God on earth. Oh, man, do I fall short. I am so thankful for Jesus' main point. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Do you see how the sermon is working? I need a little more feedback. Okay, yeah, at this point, humor me. Because that's the best I could do. You you see how the sermon is working. His main point was you didn't deserve it, but God in his love has brought it to you, entrance into his kingdom in Christ. Now he's made you members of his kingdom who represent his will, his work, and his person on earth. Therefore, live a righteous life. This is for the glory of God and for your own good. There is a kingdom standard. And the whole rest of the sermon is about how to live in God's kingdom how to pursue this righteousness, what it means to be like God on earth. So a summary, once again, because we need to get this. We are saved by grace. Now we are salt and light. So we are called to live righteously or said differently. We are brought into God's kingdom by grace. We are called to represent God's kingdom and kingship on earth. So we are called to live according to God's righteous kingdom standards. And again, point three always pushes us back to point one because we realize that we fail at point three. It doesn't mean that we throw it out and say, forget about point three. I'm not going to do that. It's a wrong understanding of Christianity. Point Pushes us back to point one where we're thankful again for grace. But we progress through the sermon to point three always remembering we are not brought into the kingdom by our righteousness, but we should live righteously now that we are in the kingdom. Now here's in part why this is so important. This helps us to understand the little doozy known as verse 12. Verse 12, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also has forgiven, have forgiven our debtors. And then he elaborates on it, the only point in the prayer on which he elaborates in verses 14 and 15. He says in verse 14, for if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Who here... Is comfortable with those statements? <laughs> Nobody, who here is uncomfortable with those statements? Do you see how understanding Jesus's sermon helps us understand that statement? This is a sermon, or excuse me, this is a prayer that is prayed by those who have been brought into the kingdom. And as always, Jesus refuses to allow us to be self-centered and always makes us think about our relationships with others and the way that we're dealing with other people. And the way that he couches that here is in the context of forgiveness. And what he gives us here is the kingdom standard. God's standard. How God says forgiveness ought to work in his kingdom. Said simply, Forgive people. Elaborated on, you have been forgiven so much. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You've been forgiven all things. So forgive people. And then consonant with the idea of Matthew 5, 48, therefore be perfect, because your heavenly father is imperfect. Since there is a standard, he says this, here's how it works. If you don't forgive people, you won't be forgiven. So what's the penalty for our forgiveness toward one another? That we aren't forgiven by God. What does that mean in essence? That we don't have eternal life, that we don't go to heaven. What does that do to us immediately? It drives us back to point one. Aren't we thankful that we're saved by grace and what Jesus has done for us and that he on the cross has paid the price for our failures, including our failure to forgive so that we have forgiveness and new life and abundant life and now we're called to live in the kingdom. But so that we don't misunderstand it and just think, well, I've been forgiven, so I don't have to forgive other people. Jesus says, that's not the way the kingdom works. That's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom works to, as a representative of God on earth. So forgive people as you have been forgiven. If not, you will not be forgiven.